Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. And I'm Jordan Crook. And it is just the two of us this week, um, but we are still going to have, I think, a fun episode. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Um, yeah. We're going to review this Beyonce homecoming uh, like concert mu- movie slash documentary, mostly concert movie. Um, and then we're going to talk a lot about the latest episode of Game of Thrones, because I think Jordan and I have a lot to say about it. Really a lot. Um, I have a lot to say <laughs> about Game of Thrones throughout. I've, I feel like I haven't really stopped um, like consuming various types of content around it or like rewatching episodes. It's like nothing is actually fulfilling me except for more Game of Thrones. Do you feel that way? <laughs> uh, I... I thought I felt that way, and then and then because Avengers, the new Avengers movie came out, I think that sort mm. of displaced it in like all my text messages for the last um, you know forty eight hours have basically been about Avengers. But I think after this coming Sunday, it'll be back to all Game of Thrones for a while. Really? Do you think the the Avengers? Because yeah. I feel like when the last Avengers came out, it was uh, like it really took over for a while. Yeah. So do you think it'll just kind of fade away or it'll be like two or three weeks of Avengers talk? I think it'll be two or three weeks of Avengers talk. I mean, I just, just the amount of conversation, the fact this is, you know, um, sort of the last movie with this version of the Avengers. A lot of people are saying this, you know, could potentially be the biggest opening weekend of all time, possibly the highest grossing movie of all time. Um, yeah, I think people are going to be talking about it for a while, but there won't be like new stuff. You know what I mean? Like there'll be like one round of, um, you know, just kind of like, oh my God, what happened? And then, and then I think certainly after the next episode of Game of Thrones, there'll be a lot of conversation about that because it's going to obviously going to be a huge episode of Game of Thrones. So it'll be kind of like neck and neck in the cultural conversation for a while. But, you know, Game of Thrones will keep cranking out those episodes. And, and so I think it'll dominate a little more for the next few weeks. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I also feel like, the whole so one of the things i wanted to ask you about was avengers if i should if i should go and do the the star wars thing with avengers oh and and podcast i'm asking you too like do we have an email for people to talk to us at anthony uh we (laughs) right now we don't hopefully by the next episode we will um we're we're working on getting people and an easier way. I mean, certainly right now you can always tweet at us at Anthony Ha and at um, which it's just Jordan. Crook. It's Jordan R. Crook. Jordan R. Crook. Um, or you can email us, and that's just the bottom of the uh, the post. It's yeah, Anthony Ha at TechCrunch.com and Jordan at TechCrunch.com. But just explaining that you know out loud makes me think that it is way too complicated, and we are going to get um, a phone number yeah. hopefully and an email address where you can reach us. Yeah, I think that'll be cool, and you guys can tell us what what you want us to talk about. And if you completely like, I've been listening to more, it's kind of stupid. It shows like that. I haven't been putting enough effort forth, but I've started listening to more podcasts about television since we do a podcast about television. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and you know, I feel like the thing that frustrates me the most is that sometimes I like really disagree with the hosts and, or, or I just have like some, you know, you, you get inspired by something that the host says about a a television show you care about. And you're like, Oh my God, I want to talk to you about this, but you can't. So we want to give you guys a way to yell at us for our opinions, essentially. Um, 
And we've gotten we've gotten emails um, in response to our episodes, but they're always and and I don't mean this in a way that like I'm I'm judging anyone here. Careful, but, but it's always <laughs> been emails from people who seem to think that we made the shows in question. Like it's like thank you for creating this Netflix show, and that's I I, I hate to break it to you, but but Jordan and I do not yet have any contracts with Netflix. We're not making any TV. So, you know, you, you don't have to thank us for it. We are not we did not direct, you know, like any of these films. We did not we we are not con- creative contributors to the content we're reviewing. Um, we're barely creative contributors to the content we're creating. Um, <laughs> right. <so. laughs> that's that's that. But anyways, the the idea is and if you guys want to go through the really complicated process of paying us before we get this phone number, the question is, should I, as someone who has given like zero shits about the whole Avengers thing, I've watched, you know, I like as a casualty of group settings and friendships, I have <laughs> ended up watching a few of these movies like Iron Man and I'm sure other ones. But um, I was thinking, what if I started from the beginning and watched them in the order that they were released like all I think it's 18 is it 18 movies no it's it's 22 now 22 all 22 of them um and just kind of barreling through it the way I did with Star Wars and seeing if maybe that because I think part of the problem I sat down the other day to watch inf- is it infinite infinity war, war. Or infinity war okay I sat down to watch infinity war and I thought like, well, the the new Avengers is coming up and I bet you a million bucks that it's going to come up on the podcast and be something that I'm going to need to know something about. And I was like, why don't I actually, you know, do something about it this time? And I thought I'll watch Infinity War and it'll get me caught up for. <laughs> <laughs> for and it started like on a planet with people speaking different languages like I didn't. It started in a place that was so far away from anything that I could recognize that. I was like, nope, that's not going to work. Like, <laughs> I'm clearly going to have to go back further than that if I want to know who these people are and what the hell's going on. So that's what gave me the idea. Yeah, I mean, I would love it if you did that. I also think that 22 movies is a lot. Um, so, I mean, another way you could do it is just watch the Avengers movies. Um, and so there's only been three before... Endgame, which is the one coming out now, so it'd be four movies total. Um, that'd be less I feel fun. Like I miss a lot of the yeah. like. I feel like the whole point though is that they've spent the last like twenty years building this universe where like these various. And here's the the main question I'm asking is: Am I giving this too much credit? Like, are these this universe with all these threaded plot lines? Like, will it all? be worth it at the end to have gotten so much context (laughs) or will it not and that's like you know i don't feel like you can do star wars without having gone through it all right but yeah i mean different i don't know it's a little different because i think there's in star wars there's essentially one story and then you can make an argument about whether or not you need to watch rogue one or solo but like that there's essentially these films that tell one story versus uh, the the Marvel movies are much closer to comic books where it's a whole bunch of different parallel stories that then happen to overlap a lot. Um, so I would say that definitely, and, and again, if anyone else has an opinion, feel free to shoot Jordan an email. Um, but that basically you can, 
like the, it'll pay in the, it'll pay off in the sense of there's jokes in the last Avengers movie and little details that can't, that will it will have helped to see some random movie about this other character, but I don't. <laughs> I guess I, I also just have like sort of think in general these movies are pretty good but not amazing. And I just feel like 20 movies is a lot of pretty good, but not amazing movies to watch in a relatively short period of time. So it's, I, I don't know how you'll feel at the end of it. I think you should do it, but you may at the end of it, just be like, what was all of that for? I didn't say anything about a short period of time. That's true. Like what did you, I, no, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really know what's reasonable. Yeah. 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 I don't know what's reasonable. Cause I did kind of go through star Wars really fast. I dedicated yeah. like, I dedicated a full weekend, like a true full weekend, Friday night, to Sunday night essentially and then like a few weeknights and got that done you know not you know with a few breaks in there I got that done in like a week and a half or two weeks but the the um the Avengers thing would take a lot longer I feel like and I I just don't know if it'll keep me like because Star Wars even when I was kind of bored or not as into it um I like one always knew that there were movies like the recent movies to look forward to. So it was always getting like newer and better and more yeah. actiony and visual effects. So I always had that to look forward to. And I also like had a very finite idea of the end or like how far out I was. But when it's 22 movies and you're on like movie number five and bored, <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> that's pretty crisis-y. Um, I mean, none of this is actually a crisis, obviously, but. Right. Anyway, I'll, I'll think about it. It's easy to imagine that you're like, you know, seven episodes, I mean, sorry, seven movies in and just being like, I can't do this. Like, it's Yeah. It's not and then happen. and then those seven episodes is like, I'm not even the kind of person that can really do that. Like now that I'm seven episodes in, I feel like I have to finish it, you know, so I don't know. Well, we'll see. That's that's TBD. I would like okay. your input, podcasters. Um, Let's talk about Homecoming. Let's talk about Let's Beyonce. talk about Homecoming. Um, well, how much did you know about it going into it? I didn't know very much. I mean, you know, Netflix has like essentially been screaming at me to watch it since it came out, since before it came out, I feel like it was just like, you know how when you first turn on Netflix, it, it like auto plays the one thing it really wants you to watch like over yeah. and over again. Yeah. It's been doing that. So I knew from the trailer that much and I knew it was about, it was, it was based on the, the Coachella performance, but. I'm not a very Coachella person, really. I'm not even really like in terms of pop culture, I pay so much more attention to like TV and movie stars than I do music. Like I'm just not very hip when it comes to music. I love like the songs that I love from the 90s and like that's good enough for me. Um, so I, you know, I didn't know a whole, not to say I'm unfamiliar with Beyonce. Obviously I love Beyonce and everybody should, but like, <laughs> I didn't know much about this performance or what this whole thing was supposed to be about. So I kind of came in blind. What about, what about you? Did you? Know um, I had a similar thing and where I think I sort of assumed, and, and I think that kind of became clear when I was describing it earlier in the podcast is that I assumed it was more of like a hybrid of like a documentary slash concert film. And then when I realized it was really mostly going to be a concert film, I was maybe a little bit less excited about it. And and then also when I realized it was more than two hours long, because um, I would say, yeah, I like Beyonce, but like in this way of like, I admire her. There are a lot of her songs that I've just heard 
many times because I am a person living in America in the 21st mm -hmm. century. But I sort of feel like you remember that um, Saturday Night Live sketch, The Bajancy, where they where there's the guy played by Andrew Garfield who doesn't dislike Beyonce, just doesn't think she's that great. And everyone else is like just chasing after him being like, what's wrong with you? Um, and, and I kind of feel the same way where I have nothing against Beyonce, but I'm just not like a hardcore. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, and and no, part, of you... it was, part of it for me watching this movie was like, oh, is this the thing that's going to convert me? Because pe like, people were just raving about how amazing this was. Um, and, and so I was like, oh, is this the thing that's going to make it clear to me why people not, not just that she's a great musician, but that people genuinely love her. And it didn't is what you're saying. I don't think it did. I mean, I like. I would say like my experience watching it was the first hour. I was definitely kind of like check. Like I was like, this is clearly a very talented person giving, um, you know, a very like one of the best performances of her career. Um, but I enjoyed the behind the scenes stuff, especially at the beginning, much more than the concert footage. I think probably because I just haven't watched that many full length concert films. I've seen you know a lot of YouTube concert footage. I've listened to live albums, but I've never like just sat down and watched you know, video of a concert for, for two hours. Um, or if I have, it's, it's been a long time. And I think I just, you know, it took me a while to get used to that. And by the end though, she'd won me over. Like, I think around the time that Destiny's Child comes out, um, I was like, oh, okay. Like this is actually like, I think part of the distinction is at the beginning is what you were almost what you were talking about with the Marvel movies where you're just in the middle and you're like, oh man, this is good. But like, how much more is there of this? And then, and, and there was also just felt more like there's like some of the humor I didn't really get. Like there's the whole um, thing with like the, the bugaboos, the, the male dancers, like, and I didn't, that didn't really do a lot for me. Um, and it just felt like it was somebody who's really good, you know, being really good, but I didn't connect to it. And then in the last few songs, it felt like a lot more just kind of joyful and like the sense that like she knows she's doing something amazing and she's really reveling in it. And and that was when I just loved it. I was like, okay, this is great. I'm really happy I got I, I got to see it. Um, it just took me a while to get there. Yeah. So I think like for me, what I learned because I I've always been aware of the fact that um, Beyonce is an absolute powerhouse, and that is across everything that she does. Right. Like everything is all the way perfect ten her singing her dancing her style her swag her like all of it is always to the to the very top and I always knew that about her what I didn't I think understand until after I watched this is that I always felt like she was really inaccessible she doesn't do a lot of um you know interviews she doesn't really open up and like share herself with us right. um and she and her instagram for example is like very all professional you know photos and it's very little like you don't really get the same sense of intimacy like kate hudson for example is like totally random but i was just thinking i i have a thing with fabletics coming up and i was just thinking and looking at her instagram and it's all like very it feels very um authentic and it's very different from beyonce's and i always felt like that was part of um, that was like a, a a symptom of how much power that Beyonce truly has, and like that she almost I always maybe misunderstood that for like not really caring to connect with fans. Like I'm just gonna be right. this this unattainable, inaccessible queen, and that is like part of her brand. And I didn't understand where that was coming from. I don't think until watching this because 
this really cemented to me how Beyonce thinks of herself as an artist and how she thinks of her fans and the people she's creating for. And it's really about inspiring people. It's like, I am here as a display of excellence and how excellence and hard work like can pay off and give me this power. Like, look at this power that I've attained and be inspired by it and go get some, you know? And like, I don't think that I connected those two dots as much. Mm -hmm. And this really kind of really clarified that to me about what she's trying to do here. You know, (laughs) it's not just about this or that song. Um, It's really about like, and, and and she did that across, it wasn't just Beyonce, right? It was like everyone involved in the production. And you see that both in the behind the scenes footage and you see it executed on the stage, which is everyone is, you know, performing at 100%. And not only performing at 100%, but she actually said something about like the dancing when she there's a piece of the of the documentary where she's talking about recovering from um her pregnancy with the twins uh before Coachella and how like hard it was on her body to get back and she mentioned how the, you know the dancing was not that technical like it wasn't technically difficult but it was hard it, it was all about your personality shining through in those moves and that she like ha- struggled to get her body to a place where she was allowed to go to that personality place instead of just remembering the the numbers and the beats and the and the moves and i think that like everyone on the stage was in that together and so not only was it this incredibly amazing performance but it was this feeling and she went to painstaking lengths to make sure that everyone both at home and in the audience and on that stage, everyone who partakes gets to feel that celebration, right? Like that, like all the little noises she said, you, I want them to hear when the, the stage starts rumbling because we're stomping and I want them to hear the, the Ooh and ah, and like the, I want them to hear the energy. That's not just what's coming through my mic and what's coming out of the instruments, but, but all of it, you know? And I just thought that was it, it, it's layer it has so many different layers of being awesome and amazing. Like, for example, the the um, the way she chose to set up the stage and everything, it's like very um, it's a throwback to like actual college home homecoming at like historically black um, universities. And it was just it had this vibe where not either you're looking at the football field itself and the marching band but it also had this vibe of looking up into the bleachers as well at a party i don't know if you had that feeling too but it was almost it was a weird it was a weird thing that always blurred the lines between like the performance and the audience and like i really i just thought it was really so well thought out and um and it was really awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't think I would when it started because I've sat through Netflix concerts before. I actually really liked uh, the Taylor Swift concert on Netflix. Oh, okay. it, that kind of opened my eyes to her a little bit because I didn't really ever give her the credit I think she deserves for being an amazing performer. I knew that Beyonce was an amazing performer um, just because like you, it's, you can't live in this world without seeing Beyonce. Um, and I mean, she definitely was that, but there's just so many extra, extra layers to it. And I, I wasn't, 
sure when I started that I was going to want want to watch a whole another thing, but I found myself like at certain points I was, I was laying on my couch watching it and I found myself at certain points, like sitting up and like kind of leaning forward. And I, I, when I came to a little bit, I'm like, man, you have the goofiest smile on your face <laughs> and you're like, me is bouncing and you are sitting as far on the front of your couch as you possibly can. Like it really took me a little bit, you know? And I, I appreciated it. I thought it was really, really good. It's, it, it's really long, but the longer I went, the more into it I was, honestly. And I would say that by, I did get to that point um, where I was also just completely like lost track of time and was totally into it. I think it just probably took me a little longer to, to get to that point. And, and it was really more like the last four or five songs where I felt that way. Um, but also I think one thing that's worth touching on is that, that you were talking about, and, and I agree that it was about, in the sense that it's, it's not a documentary that's sort of very revealing in traditional ways. I mean, certainly you find out more about her pregnancy. You find out more about just how much work went into this show, but it's, it's always these like little glimpses of it, but just somehow the whole like collective entity, like I think does tell you something about her and helps me, helped me understand her in the way that it helped you understand her. And that was certain, I think I had a very similar takeaway. Um, and it also then put that in the context of this, some of the political stuff too, where, you know, the show is supposed to represent, you know, like a, a marching band at a historically black college. Um, and, and it's actually fun where one of the things she talks about is that she didn't go to historically black college, but she, um, you know, Destiny's Child was college for her. And I, I really liked that. And I thought like the way they used that, because that, that was something that could be sort of like just a one note idea, but like, just the way you're talking about like the, the, the what they did with the stage is is amazing and how like you know you think about a mar marching band outfits on like these rising bleachers it could have been so boring but it feels like it transforms from song to song um i thought it was amazing and and i guess the the, uh, the big point i wanted to make about that though was even when i was not as into the movie um the whole time she's trying to contextualize herself in this sort of lineage of black activists and black excellence. And at no point did that feel like a stretch to me. I think in a lot of other concert films, these kind of very serious and high toned quotes from different, you know, um, black intellectuals and activists would have seemed out of place. But in this movie, they, it totally made sense to me why they were there. Yeah. And I think like they did, it, it was format following function, right? Like they, the point of it was to, I think, deliver this message of, of black excellence and uh, like, and, and inspire people with it and show, show it off. Um, but then there was also this piece of it that was, you know, the, the format of the documentary itself and the way it was filmed, the way that certain scenes were in black and white, the way that, the camera wasn't always a perfect steady cam, you know, looking like a Super Bowl halftime show on Beyonce, but sometimes it was more of a fuzzy handheld looking at the dancers or, and the dancers are not necessarily perfectly in step with each other because they're smiling and they're having fun. And, you know, it, it, there was something about it that, um, felt like you were kind of like almost like home home movie footage yeah and then you add in some of the quotes right that that were 
and every time it went to a little bit of behind the scenes footage, it had these quotes. One was like, um, you can't be what you cannot see. Right. And like it, these things just kind of reinforced what never felt like you said, like a stretch. It always felt very organic. The, the message was following the original message of the actual performance itself. And it's worth remembering that Beyonce was the, um, the first black woman to headline Coachella. And Which is crazy. there's even a, yeah, it's nuts. And there's a bit in the in the concert where she she says, thank you so much I'm you know, for having me as the first black woman to headline Coachella. And then she smiles and she says, ain't that a bitch? Right. <laughs> like that part, that part, you know, fucking sucks. And, and it, it it I just felt like. The execution of of something like this, um, it was just really, really good. Um, and it it made itself like it felt very um organic about the way it went about it and i just i really really enjoyed it i really did cool should we move on then to game of thrones wait i have one more thing one more oh, thing okay. one more I, thing the another piece that i just really liked about it was that it's so rare to get moments of jay-z and beyonce together like they mm-hmm. they perform together so you can see them performing and there's footage of that but um seeing them interact in any way. And there was one moment that just like made me so happy, like to get a glimpse of, cause they're such a power couple, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just such a, I'm so curious about their dynamic. And there's a part where Beyonce is, it's a, it's one of the behind the scenes bits and she's telling her team, like we have to get better faster. And it was, it was very intimidating. It shows you what a perfectionist she is, but she was like, you know, I'm not going to give you more notes until you solve the ones I've already given you. And then she goes like, anyways, I'm going to go. It's my anniversary. And she walks off and Jay-Z's leaving and he's like, all right, guys. And he like <laughs> kind of raises his <laughs> eyebrows just like, you guys are in trouble. You better fix it. I'm going to go hang out with my wife now, but good luck to you guys. <laughs> she's not fucking around with this. And I just, oh man, it was just such a golden thing to see it's just something you really i feel like we don't see a whole lot of with them yeah there's that and then there's also the scene where she fits into her old costume for the first time and calls him and and it's this thing where he's trying to be supportive but it's also kind of like yeah whatever (laughs) he doesn't get it like he just doesn't even though he understands her like that she cares a lot about it he wants so badly to be as excited but he just can't muster it and the other women are like men man they just don't get it you know and she's like i know it's like a very human moment it was it was fun yeah um no that was one of my favorite things too i mean he's not in a lot of the movie but when you see him it, it does feel like and again because like there's i think uh proportionally there's not that much behind the scenes footage and a lot of the behind the scenes footage is as much about the dancers and the crew and the production as as it is about Beyonce per se, but like just the little, so because of that, the little bits you do get feel like they take on this extra weight and like they feel extra delicious because you're like, oh, here's like the 10 seconds I get of her being, you know, really candid and relaxed. Yeah, very precious. And I also feel like even though they perform a lot, even the 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 song with Jay-Z and Beyonce together um, in the performance was its own kind of special precious thing because he clearly could tell, I think this was very important to her. You know what I mean? This Coachella, she's performed a billion times in a billion places, but this clearly was very, very important to her. And like, 
you felt that almost in the performance when they were on stage together. He even leaves the stage bowing to her, you know, like he bows, <laughs> bows down to her and then walks off stage. And it's just, um, and you can see the energy on her face of kind of like, we we're here, we're actually in the moment. And that's what was her goal. I think as well was like, we put in all of this hard work to perfect it so that when we get up there, we're all in it together, just living in it, you know? And I feel like you really felt that, but, um, Anyways, we could talk about Game of Thrones, but I I highly recommend watching it, you guys, if, especially if like, you know, you're just having a chill night and want to. I like concerts on TV for when I'm doing other things like folding clothes or whatever. Um, this is solid. Yeah, I obviously was not quite as one over, but I liked it and ultimately recommend it. And I would also say that um, I'm somebody who generally likes to just like turn my phone off, ignore everything else when I'm watching something. And this is something where actually, yeah, you if you want to do something else for the first hour, that's probably all right. And then, but for the for the whole ending, focus on it because it's it the ending is amazing. Yeah, it really is. It kind of like just goes bonkers, right? Like the whole thing just turns into like a huge party. It just feels really good. That's right. Cool. All right, Game of Thrones. Um, the second episode, which is called A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Um, so just as a reminder for people who maybe don't remember from the last episode, we're, because Jordan and I are both huge Game of Thrones fans, we're basically going to talk about Game of Thrones every week until the show is over, and they're going to be very spoiler-filled discussions. These are for people who are watching along with us, and you know, if you haven't seen Game of Thrones and you want to preserve that surprise, you should stop listening now, because we're going to get into it. Yeah, and the timing's really good, I think, for the, for our podcast in particular, because these shows come out on Saturday, so... Hopefully this could serve as a little bit of a refresher for you before Sunday night's episode, uh, which I believe will be the Battle of Winterfell. But yeah, let's kick it off with with a night a night of the Seven Kingdoms. I, you know, my before we get into the story itself, I think we can go through a little recap. But before we do, I mean, this to me is one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones that has ever aired. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the best because I think there are a handful of really really fantastic episodes, but this to me is it was a gift you know it was it was a gift from the creators of essentially like saying like you've earned this we've put you through a lot and like here have have these moments that close the loop on a few things that you've just been dying for like enjoy it live in it and it wasn't even like it it was it didn't even rush us through those moments it felt like it just here's a feast and you just take your time and drink your wine and eat your delicious, your delicious, savorable game of Thrones moments, you know? And, um, and that makes me a little nervous for Sunday, but overall, I just thought from dialogue, from the opening moments to the closing moments, it was just a fantastic, well-written, like beautifully executed hour of television. I loved it. I agree. And I mean, it, it was interesting because last week, you know, we had John Chibron and we were talking about the premiere. And I think that, that you and I, I don't think we had a negative review, but we weren't necessarily as thrilled with the premiere. And we were sort of ha- having this yeah. discussion about how much plot do you need to get in an episode? How much action do you need to get in an episode to be satisfied with it? And I think in a lot of ways, this episode made our points for us because it showed like, that premiere again, which I don't think is a terrible episode, but in a lot of ways, um, you know, it, it doesn't cover a lot of plot ground, and I don't think the character moments are that strong. Versus this, where again, 
there's basically one big piece of plot at the beginning, which is, oh, the dead are almost here. And then there's little bits and pieces throughout. It's not that the story doesn't advance at all, but that is not the point of this episode. This episode is basically, at a certain point, all the characters know that the battle is coming and that there's a very good chance they're going to die in the battle. And how do they deal with that? And it's basically giving us an hour you know, to sit with that and with for the characters to sit with that. And it, and it is, it's just, it's so good. Um, I mean, pretty much, I'm trying to go, I'm going through back through it in my, in my head, but I mean, I just feel like across the board, it's just like all these little scenes that, that we either were waiting for or we didn't know we were waiting for, but it, it's like just pays off in this really beautiful way. Well, I have notes and we can walk through the whole episode all and right, talk about all the it. little payoffs. But I do I do want to add just to what you were saying, which is like I was thinking about that, too, because this is a, in, a, in many ways more of the same of episode one, um, which was a setup episode. Like, here's where all the players are on the map. Here's how they feel about everything. Here's what what's to come kind of. And this was just more of that. And so I actually went through and I was thinking, okay, well, I was so upset with the first episode and not this one. Why is that? Well, the the reason for that is that this was a really organic way to, like I said, give us all those things that we've been waiting for. Because when you force characters to say, this is my last night on Earth, what will I do with it? Chances are they're going to resolve the issues that we've been waiting for them to resolve, right? right? We're going we're gonna to see them you know, force the issue on the things that we wanted them to do that with. And so it felt really organic to get all those payoffs. It didn't feel like it was trying too hard to tie up a lot of loose ends. And I think the other thing is that I went back and tried to think, what would I cut from episode one, right? Because this felt like it did a lot of the emotional work that episode one maybe should have done or was trying to do. And then, okay, so what was the plot and what were the pieces of episode one that are absolutely necessary for us to know, right? And like, how much could you cut it down? Mm -hmm. And I think you could cu have cut it down considerably. I think like that'll be, I think that first episode, like half of that first episode is going to end up being like time we wish we had back at the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I still maintain that point of view. Um but yeah, okay, let's let's just start with with where we started with the episode, which was um the the scene uh the episode opens in the hall in Winterfell. Danny is sitting in the middle. Um Jon Snow is sitting next to her and so is Sansa on either side, and Jamie is on trial. Um and it opens with Danny kind of giving a speech about like, "Oh, when I was a kid, you know, my dad or my brother told me a story about the man who killed my dad." And kind of just trying to intimidate uh, Jamie at which point, and I think there's, it's, there's something purposeful about what, what's happening with Danny over the course of these two episodes, which I think we should talk about. Um, but you know, she's upset and then Brienne step, st stands forward or steps forward and essentially says, no, I trust Jamie. Like he's a man of honor. Um, and a man of honor, that's a some powerful words for J Jamie. Cause he's never been seen as someone with honor ever since he became the Kingslayer, even though, with the exception of throwing Bran out of a window, he's pretty much always lived his life with honor. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's always been a painful thing for him. Brienne steps forward and, and Sansa caves quickly. And then John caves quickly after Sansa and Danny is left kind of having, having puffed out her chest for, for not, um, which I think frustrates her. And then that, that sends us into her yelling at Tyrion saying, maybe you shouldn't be, hand of the queen if you can't 
get me my throne, you know? Right, because one of the things that, that Jamie reveals is the fact that Cersei has no intention of actually helping in the fight against the White Walkers and is basically just gathering her own military force to, um, you know, to, to, to basically destroy Danny and John once the, the battle is over. I'm so shocked. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we sort of saw that at the end of the last season, but the other characters haven't figured that out. And, and it, I mean, it does bring up, I, I think one, one thing that, that people have commented on is that um, Tyrion him, does not seem to be a very smart person in the last couple seasons, or at least the big strategies that he's, he advocates don't seem to be working out that well. Um, but well, it's, he's very clear about it. He says, I've made the mistakes that clever people often make, which is underestimating everyone around them. Right. And, you know, at the very least he's aware of the, it's very, it was obvious. It felt very obvious, at least to me in last season when he was standing around the war room, very smug, or as Michael Scott would say, smudge. (laughs) He was very smudge about it. Talking about we're going to take Casterly Rock, the real seat of power in Westeros, you know. And, you know, Cersei predicted all of it. She's your sister. She's not an idiot, you know. Um, You might be smart, but you're not as smart as you think you are. And it's an important wake-up call for Tyrion, for sure. Well, and I think Jorah also addresses it because he says, you know, he's, he's the one who kind of sticks up for Tyrion, even though I'm sure there's a part of him that would like to be Hand himself. But he says, you know, Tyrion is the right person for the job. And it's not that he doesn't make mistakes, but that he's willing to recognize and learn from his mistakes. Okay. So then we uh, see our first scene with uh, Gendry and Arya for this episode. We got a little taste of Gendria (laughs) in the, uh, in the first episode when she first asks him to make her a weapon. And they're kind of warming up to the idea of being around each other and flirting a little bit. This scene, this is an example of a scene that, you know, later on in the episode, as all of you know, you know, Arya bangs Gendry and that's great. And that is super, I mean, some people felt maybe a little bit weird about that because we met Arya when she was like nine years old or supposed to be nine years old. I think the actress was 11. Now she's 22. So it was a little bit weird. I did have like a moment of like jaw drop, but right. And the actor we'll come who to that when Gendry we... is a little bit older than I mean, you know, like I think a, a few years right. older than her. We'll we'll circle back to the actual scene when we get there. But like this scene before it, this is exactly what I'm talking about with these payoffs. Because even if we never got Arya banging Gendry, I mean, it's hard to say this now because we got it. But <laughs> even if we never got that. The scene where she walks up to him and he she kind of reveals to him for the first time that she she's not a little girl who can't defend herself. She's a fighter. She's tough. She knows what she's doing and she's in charge. She's she's a woman in control of her own life and destiny, which is very different from the Arya that he saw before. And, you know, (laughs) she throws these dragon glass kind of um blades into this one little spot on a post and he sees it and i swear to god he gets rock hard he's like yeah i'm gonna get right on that okay no problem and like those moments like that's what that's all we really needed we didn't even need it to truly be consummated in my opinion it was just give us some more of these moments that show these people are caring about each other these game of thrones moments that aren't about like you know chopping heads off and dragons but just about the dynamics between people. So anyways, I loved that scene. I thought it was just so cute and it really made for 
what happens later to be even better. Um, let's see what happens next. So then uh, Tyrion uh, and Jamie are talking a little bit and essentially they confirm that Cersei is really pregnant. So I thought that was important. I'm not sure how Jamie knows for sure, but he tells Tyrion like the pregnancy is real. That like, yeah, I don't know that we can take Jamie's word as gospel, but yeah, that, that it seems like another, that, that at least certainly it's another evidence point suggesting that it's a real pregnancy. I'm still not 100%. Jamie buys it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think that also it kind of explains Cersei's actions last episode with kind of giving in to um, Euron and sleeping with him. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't like think about it as it was happening because she made a big deal about like, oh, if you're, you know, if you want a whore buyer, but if you want a queen earner, you know, the new Instagram caption of 2019. <laughs> but like, I, you know, I, I, I felt like that was weird for her to then say that and then just go sleep with him. But I think rewatching it several times as I did this week, um, you see a moment of her thinking before she actually walks away. And I think that thought is like, I'm pregnant with Jamie's kid. Jamie's gone. Like, fuck him. I'm mad at him. Not only is this like revenge, but it's also cover for my baby. Um, so let's just oh, get, okay. get this over with kind sense. of thing. Right. So that leads me to believe that the pregnancy is a real thing. Okay. I, I, believe I don't that. know how we're going to come full term, though. Like, I don't know how that. <laughs> that seems incredibly I, unlikely. My sister had had this theory, like, because if you know of the the full Cersei prophecy, remember back in the day where she went back in the, the right. witch or whatever told her, she her was the little girl. Yeah. And in the books, part of that prophecy that doesn't show up in the, in the move in the show is that she'll be killed by her younger brother. Jamie and Tyrion are both her younger brothers. Um, I always, my, my sister brought up an interesting theory, which is that she will give birth. She will die in childbirth with Jamie's child. Oh, okay. Um, and that that is like kind of a combo of being killed by your little brother and without Jamie actually having to do it. Um, there's a lot of questions with that, you know, in my opinion, because this episode made it feel a little bit like Jamie's circle had been closed, like the loop had been closed on him and so he's kind of free to go die like free to yeah. be done with his story but then you have to remember Cersei Cersei's story isn't closed and Jamie's an integral part of that so he might actually make it through just for the sake of Cersei unclear at this time uh, yeah that, that my assumption um, until now had been that he would probably have to kill her in some way and, and certainly the pregnancy would also influence that storyline in the sense of, you know, if, if essentially by killing her, he's preventing the birth of his own child, that's pretty agonizing and terrible too. But you're right that if, if she simply dies in childbirth, that seems to fulfill the prophecy. I mean, also that, you know, in the, um, that, that the, the show isn't necessarily beholden to the book prophecy. So it could also go in a different direction, but I do like oh, that. Anthony, come on. No, I mean, they've, they've done that with a lot of, they're not going to, I know, but they're, they can't do that with this. Like, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's too integral, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I do. I do think that you're right though. I, I had felt like Jamie proving that he's willing to come here without Cersei to leave Cersei to treat Brienne with respect. There's a conversation, um, 
where, you know, Brienne is talking to Jamie and she's commander of the left flank and he's really kind of humble and sweet and coming from this super authentic, vulnerable place of like, I'm not a good fighter like I was anymore, but I want to fight next to you. I want to fight for you. I trust you. I care about you. Like he's trying to make right on everything, you know, and even the scene before that, Tyrion's very clear. He, you know, he says something about Cersei, like, you know, she fooled all of us, Jamie says. And, and Tyrion says, no, she never fooled you. You just loved her anyway. And I think that it does make sense that Jamie's, I thought Jamie's loop had been closed here, but I think that killing Cersei is really the true. Right. And the true proof that he came all the way because really the 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 truth of the matter is that Jamie pushing Bran out that window is the least realistic thing that Jamie's ever done. Like Jamie is not he is not a bad guy. He actually never was a bad guy. He just always put the people he loves right above his honor. And yes. and so with that includes murdering the mad king and that also includes what he did with bran and the the personality behind the way he went about the bran thing is super uncharacteristic right that i think uncharacteristic of jamie, jamie but it was also a turning would point would be ag- would be agonizing yeah. over it versus the way the casual way he does it then but the action is something that that jamie totally is consistent with his character where he will do that he doesn't that he's an honorable person but he'll violate that honor in order to protect his family Exactly. And I think that the 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 issue with him hasn't been that he wasn't that he was bad and now he's good. The issue was that he loved poison, essentially, (laughs) Um, in a very pure way. He loved poison. And it takes realizing that you are you have an addiction to poison before you can actually really heal you know what i mean and so he's now realized that cersei's a poison but can he take the extra the extra step of really sacrificing his own heart and his own sister and maybe his own child um to to do the right thing and that's that's an interesting piece of it um i believe he will for how far he's come but you never know yeah and it's also worth saying that um i think his name's nikolai coster waldo mm-hmm. is just he is such an undervalued actor in my opinion i mean he is so good and this this episode is really a showcase i feel like for him of what he's capable of because he makes me laugh and cry and the just the expressions on his face are so amazing i think he's i didn't realize just how great he is until you know this episode really made it clear to me yeah, it feels like, I mean, they've really deepened Jamie's character and, and he's kind of, that performance has has really carried a lot, like, you know, that he's gone from being this very, kind, what seems like this very kind of callow character to this much more tormented one and, and like the performance has really carried it the whole way. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so then Jorah, we, we move to a scene where Jorah is speaking to Danny and he is being very Jorah in that he's giving her advice and he says, you know, you need to make nice with Tyrion and, and it wouldn't be a bad idea also to give him a little chit chat with Sansa. She doesn't seem to like you either. And this is a, this is a friend making phase of our journey. Um, and so she, we, we then moved to Sansa and Danny in a room together feels a, a touch icy. And, and then, you know, Danny tells her, you know, I love John and 
I didn't manipulate John to come be his queen. John, if anything, manipulated me to abandon the war I was fighting and come be a part of this one, you know, and you guys don't even like me. Nobody's even being nice to me. <laughs> um, she's kind of, you know, and, and you all, you feel a change. I think for me, I'm feeling a change in Danny and I'm not going to jump to an overreaction. I think a lot of the, like what I'm seeing on the internet in terms of how people feel about Danny right now, I think is a little bit of an overreaction. It might be me being too attached to her character, but, I don't know. How are you perceiving Danny right now um, while she's in the North? It's a very different world for us with Danny here. I, I mean, it's interesting because I think in general, there's been this weird thing where certainly at the very beginning of Game of Thrones, she was the most underestimated character. But, you know, in the last few seasons, everyone is suddenly, you know, that, that, that not suddenly, but that now all the so many of the main characters are fully on board with her, fully invested in her as the queen who can break the wheel. And in some ways, I feel like it, sometimes it feels like the show is telling you how great she is. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm totally on board with it. And so, I mean, not that I, I think, you know, that she's fundamentally a good person and, and I'm happy for her to, to win the Game of Thrones if that's what happens. Um, but I, you know, wasn't sort of 100% Team Danny the way I think maybe you were and some other people were. And certainly the last couple of episodes and some of the stuff that happened in season six also kind of reinforces that feeling of that what's happening now is that the question is, is, does she care about, does she care ultimately about the well-being of the people who would be her subjects about the kingdom or does she care about being queen? Because that maybe the potentially the right, you know, if she's only fixated on being queen, obviously that's not (laughs) great, especially in this situation. And, and so, and that's part of what comes up in the discussion with Sansa is like, well, you know, the North is, has declared independence. Like, why don't you recognize that? Or certainly we can't be buds if you're not going to recognize that. And and I don't think, I think you're right that some of the, the commentary so far emphasizing the sort of mad queen, mad king narrative is a little bit of an overreaction, at least compared to what we've seen so far. I don't know where it's going, but I do think that it's showing you this sort of darker side where, you know, and again, we saw a lot of this, like part of the whole part of the conflict in season six was will John bend the knee to her because she won't basically it, it, it's sort of her attitude is I won't work with you unless you bend the knee to me. And so um, that that sort of fixation on I am the true queen, that sort of that's the starting point. Everything has to follow from that. Um, if you don't if you don't accept that, you're not my enemy. I mean, is is in a lot of, in a lot of ways a sort of problematic and difficult position. Um, and I think some of that's starting to become clear. And and I think that's going to drive, in as much as there's conflict that's not about you know zombies killing people, that's going to drive a lot of the conflict for the rest of the show. Well, so I think that the thing with Danny is that she, we can agree that she was underestimated, but is clearly a natural conqueror. Mm-hmm. And the question is whether or not she's actually a good ruler. And it's easy to think of that character and that arc of that character as having a goal of the Iron Throne and whether or not she gets that goal, right? Like, it's easy to think of that as the full character arc. But is that really, does that say anything about the growth of the character or the person at all? I don't think it really does. I think what they're trying to do is tell a story of her learning to be a ruler and Mm -hmm. they've done a pretty good job of it 
I think they've shown her at various stages of decision making um, and shown us where she's made missteps and where she hasn't and whether or not she's able to learn from those things. And thus far, it's been a positive trajectory on that front, in my opinion. Um, And so I think part of the reason that it feels so much more of an issue in these last two episodes particularly has is, is twofold. The first reason is that we've never seen the Khaleesi go up against anyone that we loved. Right. right. We've never seen her actually have to engage with someone that we cared desperately about. Right. It was like slave owners and, you know, warlords. yeah, we've always been on her side to start with, right? We've never had to pick sides when it comes to Danny. And now the conflict is between her and the North, her and Sansa and her and the, this group of people that we've come to kind of relate to and love. And so um, that makes it more difficult for us to just blindly cheer on Danny. It makes us more critical of the way that she behaves because you're talking to Sansa, like don't talk to Sansa that way. Um, and then the other, the other piece of it, I think that has made her more icy is that, and this seems very realistic. Amelia Clark, the actress who plays Daenerys actually commented on this, which is she's becoming more desperate. Part of the lesson to be a good ruler is to relinquish some level of control Mm -hmm. you actually cannot be in control of everything and be a good leader you have to be able to hear and give and compromise on certain things and danny's not comfortable with that that's that's part of her journey is to become more comfortable with that and so we're at the very end of her journey where she should be on the iron throne by now and she's kind of control is being is seeping from her pores as this is happening and i think there's just some piece of just desperation i think it's a very human it's actually one of the more human pieces we'll see of danny which is just this frustration and desperation you can kind of see that she's just like come the fuck on guys like seriously you know it's like she just she seems frustrated and the and the news that john everyone's making a big deal of how you know, she reacted to the news of Jon Snow's parentage. And honestly, if think about it this way, my, my girlfriend's name is Maria. She has nothing to do with tech, tech journalism in any way. It would be like if Maria called me and was like, I just got a call from your boss. And he said he'd like to promote me to editor in chief of TechCrunch. Right. And I don't really want the job. And then, you know, my boss texts me and says, yeah, she's going to get the job. It's like, dude, I've been working really <laughs> hard. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? I don't think my like my reaction would be very similar to Daenerys's here. You have to remember, she's a Targaryen. She's not thrown off by the fact that he's her nephew. That doesn't matter. She expected to marry her brother, her awful brother. So that is irrelevant. What's relevant is the fact that they're both. And Amelia Clark said this, like me and my boyfriend are up for the same promotion. I've been working my whole life for it and he doesn't even want it. Like, how would you react? And it's, that's that's fair in my opinion, you know, I agree that like, to me, it's like a very human moment um, where, you know, for a variety of reasons, John can't just come out and say, I don't want it. It's fine. Let's never talk about this again. And 
there's also sort of this artificial thing of as soon as he says it, these other people arrive and like, all right, we got to go deal with this other thing. So let's have this sort of sit between us for, you know, this giant battle. But um, but I think it, it it's totally makes sense to me, of course, like in, in that situation, like even if I thought the right response was to be supportive of this other person, like I couldn't get there immediately. I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, OK, that's great. We'll figure it out. I'd be like, what the fuck? And, you know, maybe I could get to supportive and conciliatory eventually, but that's not where I would start. I would start with, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, of course. And I think, like, you know, maybe maybe this either helps her along her path in learning to be a good ruler in that, you know, I, the only thing that really makes sense to me maybe is that she she gives him the the power and he dies and they choose her or... I don't, I don't really know how all of this is going to play out, but I do think that Danny will end up being on the right side of history at the end of this. I, I believe that. I don't think that, I don't think that there's a whole lot of payoff in her becoming a villain in the next four episodes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I could imagine that they make her storyline darker and that she makes more mistakes, but I, I agree that, that ultimately. And she might die. She might, she might have to make some, you know, we might lose her along the way but i think that by the final moment we'll look back fondly like she was the hero that we we believed that she would be you know so we we move into the library let's skip ahead a few things we move into the library and we've got like what i think is some of the best writing and um just some of the best dialogue or the the best acting in the show which is the library scene with tormund and podrick and uh i believe uh, the onion knight is there yeah. and Jamie and yes. Tyrion and Brienne. And they're all essentially just doing what you do before the white walkers attack, which is just guzzle wine and talk and reminisce and question the meaning of life. Um, and there are just some great moments. There's Tormund tells a story of how he got the name giants Bane by um, suckling at the teat of a, of a lady giant um for for months and months uh and that was a really funny moment that had it served very little purpose but it just felt very game of thrones like it almost made me forget that i'm counting down the seconds and that <laughs> you have to use them all wisely i wasn't i wasn't mad about this not being used wisely um and then there's an amazing bit where after Tormund tells his story, he finds out that Brienne's not a knight. And he's like, what the fuck is that about? How are you not a knight? Women can't be knights. He's like, fuck tradition, you know? And Jamie has a moment where he's like, oh, shit. Like, any knight can make a knight. I'll just do it. Like, come on, let's go. And not only did I cry watching that scene. Me too. But I cried the second time I watched <laughs> that scene. I cried during the inside the episode where they're talking about filming that scene. And I also cried reading a tweet about that scene. So that to me was pretty powerful. <laughs> I loved everything about it. I actually read a tweet that was like, um, you know, Sir Jamie Knight's Brienne of Tarth. Uh, me, I didn't know we were going to get two sex scenes this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, it was perfect. Um, and it was just so excellently um, acted by by Jamie and Brienne. And 
we needed it, and I love. And it, it was also, I mean, in in, a, in an episode where there, are, I think, a lot of sort of long character interactions, it was probably the longest scene in in the episode. I mean, it, it goes on, they kind of cut away, they cut back, and I think like all of that is like immensely rewarding, just like to see you know, how much time they're willing to take with it and allow each of the characters to have their moment and to respond in the way that makes sense. And um, yeah, it just everything about that scene just feels like really impactful. With like little details, like the way Tyrion pours like a full glass of wine for Podrick and 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 all of that. Like there's, there's, there's also a little bit of awkwardness between everyone because they're not necessarily all like buds, but the way it kind of all comes together. And, and, and it was funny because I definitely didn't think that's where the scene was going, but when it happens, I had the same response where suddenly I was just like, oh, I'm starting to feel things like this is wow. Wow. I didn't realize that this is what this episode is going to do to me. But um, yeah, it's 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 one of the best. It's the best scene in the episode. One of the best scenes probably on on the show. Yeah. And there's a in the during the uh, making of the episode little, you know, they have all the extra content all over HBO. And one of them, the the director was like, yeah, Nikolai, like didn't he like blacked out while he was shooting that, like he was so into the character. And I, I really feel that, you know, like I, I felt that when he was, you know, may the father or may the warrior, you know, make you brave. It was like, it just felt super transcendent. It felt like, um, that there weren't actors and it wasn't the TV show. I don't know. It was just very, very well done. Um, and then, you know, we get to the part of the episode where John tells Danny the truth. Um, and she doesn't react super well to it. And then we find out, yo, the White Walkers are here. I guess the only bit that we didn't really talk about was the Arya Gendry, Gendry scene. And he, she comes in and essentially says, like, we're about to die. Let's bone. I've never done it before. Um, but it is, it, it, again, it's like they didn't, they didn't just hand it to us and be like, here, now I've got to go do other stuff. It, like, these these gifts, which I truly believe most of episode two was just gift after gift. All of them were really well-crafted. You know, Arya walks in and she starts taking off her gloves and asks, how many women have you been with? And there's something like oddly unsettling and sexy and exciting and kind of confusing about it. And Gendry's reaction, he can't quite tell if he should believe that this might happen yet you know he doesn't know what the right answer is and they're, they're just such cute human moments and it's not just like oh they started kissing and and they banged it's like they they gave it to us the way we deserved it and i appreciate that right and it felt like because i know there are people who sort of like ship Arya and gendry and like it didn't feel like it was about paying that off although of course it did pay that off uh but it was also about what would Arya want in this moment and and it, it totally made sense that um, that she would say, I might die. I don't want to die without experiencing sex. Like that, you know that that felt like a completely natural thing. So, it, I mean, I was I had the similar moment of sort of like discomfort that some people did. Um, but it, it like when you when I like saw it from like a character perspective, I was like, oh yeah, like this doesn't feel like the show inserting sex somewhere it doesn't make sense. It feels like something that absolutely comes out of the character. Truly. And and Maisie Williams even said something this week about how, you know, Arya is has spent years at this point kind of removing her own humanity from herself in order to achieve this this goal, this revenge goal. And 
back at Winterfell, back with her family, kind of in a different scenario than she was in Bravos for so long, she is trying to be in touch with her humanity, you know, and she might die. So not only is it just something that's kind of in keeping with what Arya might do, but it's even more her just trying to her being affected by her surroundings of being at home and with her family and kind of tapping into, I don't think that we see Arya really truly smile throughout like four or five seasons there. And the first smile we see is season eight, episode one, when she sees John. So I think they're just pushing Arya towards this a little bit back to, they turn the volume down on the, on the, a girl has no name by like 10% and it was just right. You know? Um, I guess the last thing we should touch on is how badly do we think the Battle of Winterfell is going to go? I think it's going to go pretty poorly. They plan to use Bran and Theon, Theon the protector of Bran the Three-Eyed Raven, and put them in the Weirwood Forest and the Godswood and, uh, and use them as a trap for the Night King. Interestingly, in the final shot of the episode, when you see the White Walkers appear, the Night King is not shown. There's a theory that the Night King decided to split up the army in half, take them down past Winterfell, and maybe pick up a million King's Landing civilians and 20,000 Golden Company zombies, plus whatever else Cersei has laying around over there, and do a little bit of a flanky flank on Winterfell. Um, You know, I... D.B. Weiss and Dave Benioff said very clearly in the inside the episode that they wanted to make sure you knew their plans because things might not go accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think we can take it, take it pretty seriously that the plan to lure the night King with Bran, that's all we know so far of the plan. And, and that the crypts are the safest places. Right. In Winterfell. That's the big one. Uh, those are the two things that we know about the plan. And I don't think either of those are going to go well. So Right. To spell out the obvious that I think a lot of people have been talking about is that if you've got an enemy who can raise the dead, sending all your vulnerable population down into the crypts, maybe not the best idea. But, you know, there's that theory, you know, like has been spreading like wildfire. But someone said to me, I think it was my sister said, you know, you can't make a white or maybe it was Maria. You can't make a white walker without touching them, which actually has been true thus far. Interesting. The Night King has, we have not seen the Night King. Even at Hardhome? Well, technically we saw him raise them from the dead at Hardhome. It would be hard to say that he never, that we don't have evidence that he actually touched them. So I guess the only way to turn, well, but he had to, he couldn't just, why didn't Viserion just swim out of the lake on his own? He had to pull him out with chains and touch him. Yeah, it seems like it's it's not 100% clear. And how he touched the, how the, the baby works. who yeah. was alive. Yeah, so like there could be a limitation to that, but it certainly does seem to be foreshadowing that they're putting a bunch of safe people in the crypts and then like Lyanna Stark and Ned Stark and shit are going to rob. They're all going to come back and actually, I don't know if Rob's in the crypts. It would be worth like seeing a list of who all is in the (laughs) crypts. Because I think that right at that point, there's no there's no standing stark family there to accept his body and bring it back to the crypt so yeah exactly and he lost a head so i don't know what the rules are of like so did ned so i don't know what the rules are of like how that all works if they just send the head back with the body and i don't i'm not really sure but i'm not sure i want to know either um i think things are going to go poorly and there was actually a promo 
that came out before the season ever aired yeah, any episode of the season ever aired and it was called um the aftermath and it is essentially like a panning shot of the winterfell courtyard and you see Longclaw, john snow's sword you see jamie's um golden hand in the snow um you see the feather that you see a few times in the uh, Winterfell Crips. Liana is normally holding it. And you see all the snow and this wind is kind of building and the Night King is standing at the open gates of Winterfell. I don't know what that is supposed to tell us, but that's definitely been on my mind going into oh, Sunday. I, I didn't see that one. <laughs> that sounds. I don't know if that's actual footage from the show, but it sounds like they're definitely trying to tell you something. Exactly. Like it could be... <laughs> Exactly. Like it's it's unclear if that's like is that a dream that someone had or is that like actually what are we gonna is Jamie and John gonna die? Like I don't I don't know what they're trying to tell us with that, but it it's not pleasant. All right. Well, I guess we'll reconvene in <laughs> in a week or it'll be a week for you listeners, but actually just a few days for us, and we're gonna discuss what happens. Um in the meantime, as always, if you enjoy this podcast you can subscribe on apple Podcasts or any other podcast app you can also leave us a review in apple podcasts and everyone including jordan have a good weekend have a great weekend guys thanks